Let us stand for the reading of the word from Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see so many of you here uh, in our auditorium today. And I also want to say hello to all of you that are sitting on your uh, couches at home. We're glad to have you with us. We're going to do something a little bit different today in the process of worship. There's going to be some periods of reflection. And this is something you can gauge in here in this room. That's also something you can gauge in uh, at your home, at your house. We're going through this series called Kind of a Big Deal. And what we're talking about, we're talking about the things that are a big deal in our lives. And we, we kicked it off by talking about our confidence. Our confidence in God, that God is going to do something in this world. That God is going to show up and bring about what God wants in this world is inevitable. That there is no power that can stop God. There is no force that is, can trick God. God will win in the end of the story. And so the question that we ask as believers, as disciples that are orienting our lives toward heaven, is what is God going to do with this? And it doesn't matter if it's the best thing that's ever happened to you. Some guy in Michigan won a billion dollars this weekend. That's the best thing or maybe the worst thing that's ever happened to that guy. I don't know. We'll find out. Or you sat outside the hospital because you couldn't even go in praying for your friend hoping against all hope that they live. And you can't even go in to see them. It does not matter if you're in the best experienced moment of your life or in the worst experienced moment of your life. If you're as close to God as you've ever been or you just had an opportunity that may take you as far away from God that it'll ever be. The question that we ask with our minds set, with our eyes focused on God, is what is God gonna do with this thing? And then last week, we, we talked about our, our vocation, that it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter where you are in this world or in this city, that your vocation is to be light to the people around you. You, the people sitting in our pews, you, the people that, that hear service on Sunday, hear weird from God, and then go out and you grind for the next six days. You are God's best hope to restore Avalon. You are the very person that God chose to be light to your coworkers, or to your children, or to the people that are around you. And so we keep our eyes focused in two different directions, with one eye on the work that God has called us to do, and the other eye, we keep on the sky waiting for Jesus' return. Your vocation matters. Today, we're going to look at identity. 
And we're going to do it in an interesting way. We're going to look at it through origami. And I hope you grabbed this sheet of paper as you were coming in today. Um, it's got these lines to fold in it. And I'm not going to be offended at all if you stand up in the middle of this and go grab one because I really want you to engage in this. So, you know, get up and get one. And I realized, like, you showing up to church today did not think that what you would be doing is folding paper. And you may be thinking to yourself, I'm too much of a man sitting next to this cute girl next to me to be trying to figure out how to fold this paper. Let me tell you a secret. This one's for free. If you're a man enough to fold paper wrong in front of a woman, she's woman enough. I don't know how to end that story. Anyway, <laughs> this one's for free. This one's really for free. You take this design, you figure out how to do it 10 times, and on the inside of each of these things, you write something special about that special someone, be it your spouse, someone you're dating, or just some random stranger. You're going to save 80 bucks in roses, and it's going to be worth a whole lot more. That's free. But if you want instructions, you can go to highlandchurch.org heart. If you're online with us, you can go to the highlandchurch.org heart, and you can find a downloadable to come along with us, and also some pretty easy instructions if you just can't figure this out. And so we want you to engage in that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for everything you've given us. We are grateful for the air we're breathing. We are grateful for the sun that came up this morning. We are grateful for all of the love, hope, and peace that you've given us in our lives. And so we ask you, Father, in this moment, as we turn ourselves inward to focus in on your word, to hear a voice of your spirit, that you will tune our ears so that your voice may be spoken loudly and clearly. To that end, Father, pour through me the gift of preaching that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. It's together that the church says, amen. All right, so you're going to be folding this origami paper, but there's also some writing prompts. So if you've got a pen, pull that out. I've been thinking this week about being authentic. And the reason that I've been thinking about being authentic is because um, I'm doing these goals for my job. Like at the beginning of every year, I try to set some goals. And one of the goals is to, to preach without notes. I got two pages of notes here. But if you're be- my age or lower, it feels more authentic If you can just do this all off the top of your head, if you can make it look like we're just having a conversation that I didn't spend 18 to 20 hours every week trying to figure out exactly what to say, and I can just spew it off randomly, it feels more authentic, and so the truth is going to come further. If you're my age or older, you actually prefer a a preacher that's had notes because that means they've, like, worked on something to say, right, what they have to say. And so I'm trying to be authentic this year. Being authentic is exhausting. You have to figure out what it means to be authentic. What do you like? How can I put that on social media? Because then you got to express it. It's not just like you have this hobby that you actually love. You have to have a cool hobby that you can also photograph in such a way that it shows up on Insta. And then once you do start showing off that hobby or who you are or who you like or the books you read or how far you got into uh, Foster Wallace, David Foster Wallace's book before you threw it away and tried again another time, it's exhausting because you got to express it. And that leaves you in the comparison game. And the comparison game leaves you insecure. And eventually that insecurity leaves you depressed. It's like your whole life has become this dating app where you're trying to put your best self forward to be smart and clever and funny. You didn't even think I could just fold 10 paper hearts and win the girl. I was dating Natalie early on. Well, we weren't dating yet. I liked her. I asked her out. She said no, so painfully that it's worth a whole nother sermon. It was in front of a room of middle school girls. It was, it was devastating. 
And then we, we ended up at, in an internship together. We were both working at the same church. And I was trying so hard to impress her. I would come to church and I would try so hard to impress her. I'd come to Sunday night and try so hard to impress her. And I'd come to Wednesday night. And I, I mean, I just wanted to be cool Christian. I wanted to be that cool college student. I wanted to be good looking. All of those things that it's hard for me to do. And we got in this internship and I could not keep up the pace. I could not for 40 or 50 hours a week be cool or funny or smart. I had to be me. It was the best thing that ever happened. I am so tired of being authentic, so I'm just going to be myself instead. Some of y'all are going to get that later. You're going to think it's funny. The rest of y'all, I'm sorry. What this means, what this means is that I, I started keeping a secret from my spouse. Not the way you think it is. But I don't really tell her the kind of books that I really like to read. I'm going to tell you right now, and this is, this is almost as embarrassing as it is true, and I'm really trying hard not to be like, well, you've never heard of the books I read. I really got into like Chinese science fiction this year. And it's such a cool thing because it's such a different world and such a different mindset and such a different society. And so to hear them imagine worlds, which is what science fiction is, imagining new worlds, I really got into that this year, and I don't tell anybody about it. I just, I love it. I don't tell Natalie what I'm reading because, one, she doesn't care, and two, why would anyone care? But I love those books. I got into Finnish science fiction, and now I'm, I'm loving reading Nor Norwegian, uh, Scandinavian science fiction. You being authentic is, is the thing you love just because you love it. And you keep it a secret because you don't really want anyone to know. You just, it's just, it's for you. It's that thing that you love, and that's, that's the core, that's the door, the, the key that begins to open up the idea of being authentic. It's just who you are because that's what you love to do. And there's no other reason. It's just the pure pleasure of something that you love. And so we turn our hearts and our minds to Ephesians chapter 1. And, and do your best not to get hung up on the word predestined in this text. I get it. That's a really long and very old conversation that begins with Augustine, moves to Aquinas, gets muddied by John Calvin and Jacob Arminius. Don't worry about that. What God means, what Paul means in this text is that you are chosen. And that's all it means. But the key that we need to grab from this text here is that the God who sealed the church, and in Ephesians, Paul is talking about that big capital C cosmic church. It's not so much the expression of us here as it is the expression of every person that's ever been in the kingdom throughout all time, whether they walked into a church building or whatnot. That's, the, that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about church in Ephesians. It's the cosmic church, the universal church, the God who sealed you in your baptism, adopted us as sons and daughters. For his own glory. And that ongoing inward and outward restoration that happens in our souls as we walk with God. And here at Highland, that's expressed as the pathway. As we, as we enter into the life that the Spirit is calling us to. That is the deposit of our inheritance in God's kingdom. Another way to summarize this text is to say, God loves you just the way you are. God loves you the way I love carrot cake. And I got to tell you, I love carrot cake. And I don't care how anyone makes carrot cake. I don't care what kind of ingredients do they use, whether they put honey in it or not, whether they use the nice uh, sour cream frosting or not. I don't even care if there's carrots in carrot cake. I love carrot cake just the way it is. Nothing can ever take that from me. God loves you just that way.
And you had that moment when you were sealed. You had that moment when you knew. You had that moment when you were so tired, so exhausted of trying to be authentic before God that you just gave up the premise and you said, I'm just going to live with you. I'm just going to walk with you. And you found in that moment when you gave up the pretense, when you gave up the opportunity to impress God, that God really loved you just the way you were. And so what I want you to do with your paper, if you have it in front of you, you're going to do three folds before the next time I get up here. But I want you to reflect on this question. When was the moment you knew you were folded into the love of God? And you can answer that with a paragraph, but there's not a lot of space. So you just use shorthand because this is just for you. You're not supposed to share this with anybody else. When was the moment you knew you were folded into the love of God? Take a step away from like that baptism moment or the formulas, that moment when you gave up the pretense of authenticity and just allowed yourself to be yourself. Now this is a tricky fold. We'll get there in just a second. This is a tricky fold. You go one like this. This is the hardest part. Two like this, and then you fold it back, right? But you hold it and you do this little magic number, ready? Uh, did everybody see that? You just hold it like this and you pull it in. Uh, just squeeze that inner fold. This is the hardest part of the origami that you're gonna do today. And if you didn't get it, it's fine. It's me like a dozen times. When was the moment you were folded into the love of God? When you knew that he was for you? Today's question is, how does my identity in Christ form me? And I'll tell you, much of my life, it did not form me at all because I didn't even know I had an identity in Christ, which is very sad, but that is true. But what I came to realize is I didn't know Jesus. So the very Jesus these scriptures talked about, I didn't know him. Jesus in John 5 addressed the Jewish leaders and said, and he could have said it to me, you, Carol, diligently seek, seek and search the scriptures, thinking that in them you will find eternal life. But these scriptures, Carol, testify about me, Jesus, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I heard much of my life live at the foot of the cross. The foot of the cross, I believe is powerless. It's powerless because there is no Jesus there. The other side of the cross, there is a risen living Savior, and that is where my identity is, in a risen living Savior who wants to live His life in me through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul addressed his letters to the New Testament, to most of them, Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians, Philippians, to the saints. So. What I would say is, do we believe this? Because on one side of the cross, I was a sinner. I was spiritually dead and I was the old man. On the other side of the cross with the risen living Jesus who lives in me, I am spiritually alive. I am a new creation and I am a saint. Both were true, capital T, but this is the side of the cross that I now live on and it changes everything. This is my identity now, spiritually alive, new creation and a saint. We behave like who we think we are or how we see ourselves. If I see myself as a warrior who is a child of God, that's different than seeing myself as a child of God, a saint who struggles with the sin of worrying. This side of the cross binds me and chains me. 
this side of the cross frees me and changes me. So my identity in Christ, the risen living Christ who wants to live in me by His Holy Spirit is powerful. And it's everything for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That is my identity and it is a big deal. I've never wanted to say amen to a video as much in my life. That was amazing. Thank you so much, Carol. We are loved. This is the cross. We are loved. But as Carol said, sometimes that love can get twisted. It's like a, a child who is abused to think that pain or abandonment is love. And you have to do the work to get on the right side of the cross. But the reality is that God will never stop pursuing you. God will never stop chasing you. God will never stop loving you. But our entire society is organized to teach you the opposite. Our economy and our society is geared up to teach you to only work harder, faster, or smarter. And if you can't do two out of those three things, you're going to feel like you're falling behind. And this has been happening for like the last 250 years. It starts with the Enlightenment, but it really takes off at the Industrial Revolution, where all of a sudden you can make your work multiply by using machines, and all that, farm, that spreads to farm work, where all of a sudden tractors and all these machines can make you much more efficient. And then that hits manufacturing, where all of a sudden we can make a million little gizmos for a penny. And then it hits automation, and people can make things faster and more efficiently and cheaper than ever before. And now it's in AI. We don't need call centers anymore because we have one AI that can answer the phone for your bank for the entire world. And so if that was your job, it's gone now. So you have to work harder, faster, or smarter just to keep up where you were. And the unintentional message is that your worth and your value are tied so closely to your output, it becomes your identity. And so the only solution is, if I just put another hour in after the kids go to sleep, I'll just whip out that laptop and answer a few me emails. Or just, you know, one more Saturday afternoon at the office, and, and the, the, the result is anxiety, and then burnout, and then depression. And here's the sign you know when you've fallen down that path too long. If you don't know who you are when you're on vacation... Your identity might be wrapped up a little too much in what you do than who God has called you to be. And I realize there's a touch of privilege here, and I want to acknowledge that. If your rent goes up $200, for some of us, that means it's like $200 less of lattes in the month. For others of us, $200 means I have to choose between rent and the kid's milk. And you don't really have a choice there. It means you got to work harder you got to take that second job. You run on a treadmill faster and faster. If that's the world we're living in, then how refreshing is the word of the gospel that says your identity is not wrapped up in what you do. Your identity is not wrapped up in the number of sales you make. Your identity is not wrapped up in any of those things that this world wants to tell you makes you valuable. That your identity is wrapped up on the right side of the foot of the cross. But we step out of our identity. And so I want you to think about that for just a second. 
Where is that touch point for you? Where is that moment for you where you step out of your identity and you find yourself living on the wrong side of the cross, as, as Carol said? And so if you have your piece of origami and maybe you folded, maybe you already built a heart. You need to unwrap that thing because you got ahead of us. It's not your fault, but it just happened. Question two, it's right here. In that little triangle, write the word or phrase, draw a picture if you're an artist. Where's that moment when you step out of your identity? And then go ahead and fold it and fold it to this spot. Stop at nine. We are forgiven. And forgiveness for you is waiting for you to come around. God is just waiting for you to realize the truth that you are more deeply loved than you could possibly know. We are forgiven and we are called. The plan that God has for your life is better than all of the other plans. And for most of us, this is and this isn't origami. If you're anything like I am, when the first time I was making this thing, I made early mistakes in the folds. And sometimes those mistakes became creases. And the further I got in trying to make this thing look like a real heart, the more and more it looked like some sort of alligator. I was not good at this at the beginning. That's true in your life as well. The early mistakes that you can make become creases that are very difficult for you to change once you've been in this thing a few years. Whether it's credit cards or sexual behavior, it's just true. Your life is kind of like origami. But on the other hand, God's plan for you isn't anything like this at all. Because it's only very few people at very few times in their life where God actually has a detailed step-by-step-by-step plan that you have to do or you fail the whole thing. Most of the time, what God gives us are, are principles that we live by. Love instead of hate. Mercy instead of vengeance. Justice instead of weakness. We live by those principles and your conscience lets you know when you've stepped off the rails. And most of the time, this is how God works. And so if you have some sort of prophet in your life that's making specific, detailed predictions about the work of God or the work of your life or who's going to be elected, it doesn't really matter who it is, and that prophet is wrong, that's not a failure of the God. It means you need to find a new prophet. More often than not, when we turn our hearts to the word of God, what we find is grace and mercy and love. Where do you feel the most at home? Jesus takes every table that he ever sits at. And it doesn't matter what place he's sitting at the table, he always becomes the host. It doesn't matter if he's a guest or if he's hosting the Last Supper with his disciples. He always becomes the host. And every table where there is Jesus, that table is home. The best meals that you ever may eat in your entire life might be at some sort of fancy restaurant, some once-in-a-lifetime place where you're going to drop a whole lot of bills to eat something really great, and that's wonderful. But the best meals that you're going to eat are the meals around a table at home. And that's what God calls us to. God calls us to come home. The one place in your world where you can drop the pretense of authenticity 
and just be yourself. So the third prompt on our, our chart, it's right here. I feel at home in my identity when I am. Write just a word or a sentence. We're going to share communion together because this is the place called home. This is the place where you are known and you are loved. This is the table where you are always welcomed. You will never be forgotten. And you can always return. Brothers and sisters, Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Let's share communion together. Father God, for this table where we are always invited back, we give you thanks. We thank you for the mercy of your son, Jesus. We ask your spirit to fill our lives again in this moment and remind us the truth of who we are in you. It is through Christ we pray. Amen.